On today's episode, Natasha Smith discusses the sensitive topic of abortion and the importance of depoliticizing the issue and instead elevating the lives of the women and men that it affects. Natasha and Brittany Smith have recently launched a new book, Unplanned Grace, which discusses their belief that being pro-life means being pro-woman and also urges compassionate and empathetic support of abortion-vulnerable women and their partners. We talk about Texas' new heartbeat bill, the importance of supporting all lives with a pro-life belief system, the call toward love, and how to navigate through shame, guilt, or regret after a decision for abortion has been made. As always on the Living Easy Podcast, I welcome hard conversations because real people are facing real decisions every single day. I just want anyone who is struggling with the decision to have an abortion or if you have had one in the past to know that I love you, Jesus loves you, you are seen and known, and God's restoration and healing are offered to all. If you want to hear more about biblical stances on hard topics, be sure to listen to episode 83, Our Infidelity Story, Same-Sex Attraction, Sexual Addiction, and a Redeemed Marriage, episode 73, The Marks of a Christian Life, Are You Living It Out, Sex in Christianity, episode 2, Masturbation, Emotional and Visual Pornography, and How They Affect You, and episode 53, Dealing with Difficult In-Laws as a Christian. Let's get into today's conversation with Natasha Smith. We were never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy Podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy, and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. Today, I am here with my guest, Natasha Smith, author of the new book, Unplanned Grace. Hi, Natasha. How are you? Hello, Lindsay. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. We are just kind of hanging out. Our kids are in school today. And so my husband and I are just having a relaxed day slash work day together. He's recently come on into my world of social media and podcasting and business stuff. And so he's now my new, I guess, coworker, which has been an interesting shift. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun though. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. So, okay. Tell us a little bit about your new book, Unplanned Grace. How did you kind of get into this realm? And of course, today's topic is kind of an intense topic. So let's talk a little bit about you and your heart and your mission first. 
Well, that's uh, yeah, big questions yes. there. Uh, with for me personally, I got uh, involved within the pro life work four years ago when I started working with Save the Storks, and Save the Storks is a national nonprofit that supports pregnancy centers. And so, because of my work, I was able to visit all these different centers, literally from coast to coast, and walk through their clinics and hear their hearts and talk with these incredible nurses and social workers and and see just how much they care about women. And of course, our culture says a lot that pro-lifers don't really care about women or about babies after they're born. And yet these people I was meeting were showcasing just an incredible array of care, support, lasting support after children are born. And even for those who choose abortion, they still have open doors to offer counseling for them as well. So that really surprised me uh, to see that in contrast to what culture obviously says. So we really wanted to write this book. And I'm a co-author with Brittany Smith and We both work for Save the Storks. We wanted to write this book that could create a level, a middle ground between pro-life and pro-choice that we can all agree that women matter and their lives really matter. And they're going through a lot. None of us are denying that. And so we wanted to go through the different things that women are facing and also showcase pro-life organizations that help meet that particular need. And of course, this is just skimming the surface because there's so many more but that's a little bit about it. And how were you raised as a Christian? Were you raised with the belief of that life is precious and the value of sanctity of life? Is that your general understanding as you grew up? Did that shift over time? Yes, it was. I grew up on a farm in Northern Michigan and my dad's also a pastor and my parents, they hoped for a big family and they ended up having four miscarriages. And they talked a lot about that growing up. And I never really thought about how much it impacted me until more recently that, you know, they constantly talked about these little babies and how much their little lives mattered and how much they're looking forward to meeting them. And, and, you know, I knew about these little brothers and, you know, the one that was too early for them to know. And I claim that one as a sister. And so I think that kind of shaped me and my approach for life. And then I got my degree in communication and Bible theology. And through that, I really started to study more about the image of God, you know, and how that formulates and undergirds everything that we do and how we interact with any human being and how we treat the marginalized or the vulnerable. So when I approach pro-life, I also bring to it that attitude of, we have to care for everyone who's marginalized in this conversation, which includes, you know, that, that mama who's going through a lot, those men who culture tells them to shut up and not say anything and they shouldn't care. And those unborn children. I mean, we need to care about all humanity involved. Amen. And I know that this is a very sensitive topic for many. Um, On my last podcast, actually, I spoke with a woman, a friend who had had an abortion. And in our conversation, that was the first time that she had actually ever spoken publicly about it. She called her mom before we talked because she had never told her mom about it. And so it was really a beautiful conversation, but obviously filled with so much emotion, filled with what she was experiencing, which was shame and regret, but also freedom in Jesus and knowing that he had forgiven and allowed her to, you know, wipe that slate clean, but also 
now kind of processing through what does this mean for me as a Christian? What does it mean for me to stand up and to use my voice and to use my understanding of the sanctity of life to speak out? Because, I mean, most of the women, if not all, that I have spoken with who've had an abortion, though I think the world often tries to tell us that people will stand on a rooftop shouting how proud they are of it, that may exist But at least the women I personally know really struggle with regret and shame and questions, you know, a lot of thoughts. And so this conversation with you, Natasha, comes on the heels of Texas new abortion law known as the heartbeat bill, which bans abortions at six weeks from the patient's last menstrual period. So it's said that if a Texan's heartbeat is detected, his or her life will be protected. And this has come with a lot of controversy, a lot of celebration from Christians, and a lot of controversy and, you know, really kind of the government fighting against this extremely hard. So can you talk a little bit about what you felt when you saw that bill and how it is kind of impacting the work that you do? Well, so one thing that's unique is Save the Storks is a non-political organization. So we believe that we can interact with this topic no matter what the laws are. And people, you know, are excited or they're freaking out and and it creates a lot of noise hmm. when the reality still exists that there's people who need help. There's people who are scared. There's people who are terrified. And of course, the Texas law is trying to help women, you know, be able to maybe fight against those pressures because 73.8% of women who had abortions say that they felt pressured to do it. And so, you know, in some ways it's trying to give a little breathing room for these, for these women. But, but I, I mean, and Storks in general, just, we don't take the political approach because it can become militant and we can easily forget that people are are hurting in this moment and so often they really feel like there was no other choice and one thing i do appreciate about the law is that they require women to be fully informed about all of their options and fully informed of the resources available to them. Because a study showed that 79% of post-abortive women were never told about the resources available to them if they chose life. Wow. So that that's a huge deal, you know, and, and in a world that wants to be pro-choice, we want to have choices. We, you know, we're Americans, like that's such a big, you know, part of who we are. Within this, it seems like choices are removed because women aren't fully informed. They're not told about all of the support that's there for them. And like you mentioned as well with, you know, those who have experienced the pain of abortion, do they know that there's hope and healing? Do they know where to go for that? Because that is there and it exists and it exists through the pregnancy centers that are all across the country. Yeah. I love that you touched on, you know, the depoliticization, is that the word? Deep, <laughs> depoliticizing the abortion conversation because I think that you immediately, you know, hear pro-life, pro-choice, and it almost feels as if the woman, her heart, her longings, her value, all of those things are left out of the conversation. And it easily becomes, as you said, militant, ruled by government. It is no longer personal and intrinsically, you know, caring about the value of that individual. And so I, I believe that when we look at these people, and I love that you mentioned about, you know, Save the Storks being pro-life even after birth, because I definitely want to talk about that conversation, have that conversation, but is to 
to look at women and men, you know, who are walking through this with empathy, with compassion, with love, knowing that they may not have the resources. I know when I was 14, I was promiscuous. I didn't know Jesus. I made really poor decisions. I took plan B birth control pills, which are technically abortive, you know, and I, that was all I knew to do. You know, I knew you get condoms or you get the pill. And if something had happened, I am not one to say that I would not have had an abortion at that time. I don't know. God protected me from that decision. But now my heart and my awareness has increased. And so I just wish that that those resources were out there. And my mom actually worked for CareNet or volunteered for CareNet where they gave a lot of resources and gave those options to women to let them know, hey, this is not your only way. You choose that, but look, like look at these other options. Look at what you can do for another family or whatever it might be. So let's talk a little bit about that. Why is it important for us as Christians to speak up on this issue, to be aware of it, and to love women through their decision process? I mean, if we don't speak up, who will? <laughs> and and this is such an isolating issue. And our culture is increasingly isolated and COVID didn't, you know, give us any help with that. And so we've forgotten, you know, that we're a community. We need one another and none of us can do life on our own. That's not healthy. And so for us to be able to speak out and to Honestly, in some ways, it may not be as much speaking out as listening, you know, being there for that woman who's going through something or that man who just doesn't know what to do and having those conversations of, you know, where are you in your relationship? Where are you? What do you think about life? What do you think about family? What do you think about marriage? And just being a person that they feel feel safe to communicate with, because, I mean, Sinners felt totally comfortable having dinner with Jesus. And that blows my mind, you know, how yeah. beautiful that was, that he he was welcoming to those who were going through hard things and those who had tragedy in their past and those who were currently in, you know, crazy situations. He was there. And I think we, as the church, need to, you know, exemplify him. In fact, in our book, every chapter ends with this reflection. It's called Reflecting the Father's Heart. And we talk about, you know, some scripture reference of how he cares about homelessness. He cares about vulnerability. He cares about those who are fatherless and and those who, you know, just don't have the resources. He cares. And we need to do that as well. And so every chapter ends with us a prayer for us to just start posturing ourselves and opening ourselves to be used by the Holy Spirit to speak his words to the people who need it. Because we you know, we don't know who needs who needs that hope. We don't know who has abortion in their past. We don't know if someone's in an unplanned pregnancy right now. But if we listen well and if we share that love of Christ well, I mean that that's truly life saving work. Amen. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about being pro life. And as you mentioned, I think that as Christians, we are to be pro-life, meaning all life, not only unborn babies. And one of the most common arguments that we see from non-believers is that our pro-life movement is hypocritical because there's a lack of support for single moms, single dads, orphan children, for immigrant parents or children, and so on. And I know that these are really big topics to touch on, but Jesus was pro-life in the sense that he cared for all of those. He always slowed down to hear the stories, to heal, to have compassion upon others. 
And I want my love, I want the, the love of my community here to reflect that of Jesus and to be Christ-like. And so I actually just crazy timing, but on Facebook, somebody I don't follow, I got like a sponsored post this morning that says, as a Catholic and a father, I will always defend the unborn. And he is a congressman. And so of course you can imagine Facebook's comments. And one of them said, but what about when they're born and Haitian? And then another one says, so will you defend the born? There's a lot that can really use your help. There are over 11 million children living in poverty, and that's just here in the U.S. They could really benefit from someone supporting them as much as they support the unborn. So I do feel as if this is one topic. This is one piece of the conversation because we do want to care about them as much. But that does not mean that we diminish our support of the unborn or of the mother who is struggling with their decision either. Can you speak to this and what your stance is on it? Yes. I think that it's just all tied again to your theology of being made in God's image. If every human being is made in God's image and intrinsically valuable, then we care about their life, you know, throughout all of their life, both, you know, from that first moment of conception until their death, their life is valued. And there's always hope of redemption, no matter the circumstances that someone's born into. You know, I think it's interesting how in America, we love stories of people who pick themselves up by their bootstraps and make something of themselves. But then with this, we assume that women should just be a victim of their circumstances or that that child can't amount to anything just because of their circumstances. And I think that's really fascinating and also sad because it's totally shifting the narrative that we've grown up with in our culture in general. And why is this the one place where we shift that? And you're right. It's a big topic with humans being the center of it. You know, how do we care for people well? And that is something that the church needs to do. It's been doing historically. I mean, the early church picked up children off of the streets. They fought against infanticide, not by changing laws, but by doing something, by seeing their neighbors who are hurting and walking alongside them. And so we can we can do that. You know, we can do that no matter what the laws are, no matter what country we live in, we can care for those around us. Yeah. One of my favorite stories actually in the book is of a immigrant mom who is facing potential deportation when she found out she was pregnant and just terrified of that. And the local church opened up their home and got her a place to live when she was homeless. And the uh, pregnancy center was became her family ultimately. And the pregnancy center was able to connect her to a lawyer who said, hey, your life is worth it and I'll fight for you. And through that whole story, she gave birth and she named her son Emmanuel because she realized God was with her through all these different people and through all the all the mess that she was walking through because it was very difficult. So I think that the pro-life organizations really are caring for all life more than people realize. Well, and I think that's the key too, though, is having an awareness of it and getting close enough that you actually know what really is happening. Because we can criticize from a distance through Facebook comments, social media, but when you're close enough to see what is my church doing, when you're actively giving to your church to be, in order to help be a part of that, when you are loving your neighbor well enough to know what they're walking through and you're available and accessible to them, you then have the ability to know truly what's going on without making assumptions. And I think that is just, we just need to caution ourselves in that as a whole, preaching to myself as well. 
in just assuming the worst or assuming the best, you know, choosing to assume the best in moments where we may not see it from the outskirts, but the churches that I am a part of, they are wildly involved in the lives of single mothers. I have watched them purchase cars for single moms. I've watched them pay for schooling for single moms by their own volition. They've chosen that because they want to help. And so while we can always do better, while we can always step up, I think it's important to look and see what resources truly are out there while also being a part of the solution and saying, hey, you know, I'm only one person, but I can open my doors to that mama. I can babysit for her. I can go and ask what I can do to help and be that supporting hand, the body of Christ, you know, that is living out this faith actively instead of sitting back and using my keyboard fingers to express my disdain at a system that may be broken, but I am powerful. We are powerful and have the ability to step in and do something. I have an episode actually out um, with one of my close friends and it's titled Pregnant at 19. And she came to me right when she found out she was pregnant. We had kind of just met and knew I was a Christian and she told me of her situation. And we kind of walked through the process together. I had never walked through anything like that before, but it was really remarkable as we did to see the resources that were available to her at that time. I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised by it that helped her and aided her in a time where she had no money her family wasn't here and it did walk her through that. And so while she chose to keep her baby, there were a lot of struggles along the way, a lot of confusion and questions that she was able to find answers to. And so I love that that is, you know, your book, Unplanned Grace, that you are offering this hope and this help to women, but also breaking down the process of abortion. And so I do want to ask you, through your research, what have you found to be the main reasons that women get abortions and how can we help with that and come alongside them? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, the number one issue, 73% of women who had abortions say that they felt that the, that was their only choice because of economics. So it's a very economic-driven decision, which I think is such a should be easy one that we can help fix. You know, we can help join her in helping with that. And there's many organizations who do already and pregnancy centers will connect her to whatever resources she needs and will often, you know, get her what she needs to be able to find a better job and to get safe housing and and all of these things. But economics is the number one. And then secondly is relational pressures of feeling that they can't do it because all the voices that they can hear tell them that they can't. You know, culture says it, family can say it, you know, and partners can pressure as well. And that belief of it's not the right time for you, or you can't finish school and do this, or, you know, all of your dreams and your success will go down the drain if you choose this. And those are hard things to fight against. You know, those are loud voices, especially when those closest to you don't believe in you in that way. Yeah. And in regards to the economics and those things, obviously one of the most common arguments you hear is, but what about rape? What about abuse? What about that? You know, I think it is the 1% that that is the case. I don't know if that's the correct statistic. It is. It is. Yep. Okay. So that is the 1%. And as you said, 78% is economic. So we have to look at the exception or the rule and not the exception, but the exception still matters. And it is something that causes a lot of confusion with people when you say, but I've been abused. How can you ask me to keep this child of abuse? What is your word to that? 
Oh man. Yeah. That is such a big topic. And I mean, I interviewed the woman in the story who, who had a a story of rape and from what she said and what I've learned, I just don't think that trauma added to a trauma will bring in any healing. And so there's a a study that showed that those who did conceive out of rape, 80% and had abortions, 80% of those women say that that was not the right decision for them. You know, because that life could be the one redeeming factor of that trauma. Yeah. And I think that with just ushering people towards abortion within that scenario, that could allow that trauma to continue. If there's domestic violence in the home or statistically more college age girls get raped. And so it's like, there's other issues that are making this to light. Can we help fix those? You know, why, why is there extra vulnerability and women aren't safe in these certain sectors and you know, there's been study and research that show where those places are. Can we help heal that piece? And of course, for those who've gone through that trauma, it's devastating and hard. And there is help to heal and to overcome those hurdles. There's incredible amounts of counselors, Christian counselors, who will walk with women who've experienced that trauma. And even if she did choose abortion, the trauma of abortion as well, and help bring healing and wholeness through that journey. Did you know that the Wife Project from Roommates to Soulmates will have its final official launch on November 7th? There are so many of you who are already on the wait list, patiently anticipating the drop of this course. And you will be joining over 1,000 women from ages 20 to 65 who have taken this course to strengthen their marriages. And a praise report, we have people from nearly every country in the world who have bought The Wife Project to improve their marriage for the glory of God. But if you don't know anything about The Wife Project, I'm so excited to share a little bit about it with you. So let me begin with a question. Have you forgotten what it is like to be best friends with your husband? Have you become more like roommates than soulmates? I think it's safe to say that there are very few people in the world who walk down the aisle to say I do while also having the thought, I hope I have a mediocre or failed marriage that ends in divorce. No, right? We naturally desire to have the best and healthiest marriages, a marriage full of happiness, spiritual growth, pleasurable intimacy, laughter, and faithfulness, the kind of marriage that thrives when God is at the center. But then life happens. We forget the promises we've made to God and one another because we're so caught up in the broken and worldly expectations of what we thought our marriage would be. We spend more time looking over the fence at someone else's grass than we do looking at our own and doing our best to water it and nurture it. And I totally understand that marriage can be difficult. You are two sinners coming together with different upbringings, different desires, and different personalities. Jesse and I have been through the ringer ourselves in different ways. And those things can cause conflict, confusion, and loneliness when it's not worked on by either person. Kelsey took the leap and invested in the Wife Project course, and this is what she had to say. Lindsay, my husband and I have been struggling for a little while now. There was nothing wrong with our marriage. It is just hard at times. Kids and work created stress on us, and we love each other, but constant miscommunication and trying to fix each other has left us both exhausted and ready to give up. I'd been praying for a reason to keep fighting for us and to keep working at this. We've tried Bible studies, marriage counseling, date nights, etc., and nothing seemed to work. 
The Wife Project showed me God's vision for our marriage. I realized that I need to stop trying to get my husband to fill a role he was never created to fill. I began to understand my role in all of this. I also learned that I can work on the things that I can control, my attitude, my heart, and my intentions, and that that has a huge impact on his responses toward me. Thank you for giving me the tools I needed to save my marriage. I truly believe that you are a gift from God to our family. Friends, the fact of the matter is that there are two people within a marriage, and it can sometimes be tempting to point our fingers at what our spouse is and is not doing. But the truth is that pointing fingers and telling them what they're doing wrong over and over again does not fix anything. You were never intended to play God or be the Holy Spirit in your husband's life. God has called you to be a love him wife, not a fix him wife. So do you desire to run this race well, to fight hard through the mess and the muck while holding high the beautiful institution of marriage that God has woven into the fabric of creation? I have always been passionate, and if you listen to the Living Easy podcast, you know this, I've always been passionate about redefining what it means to truly fight for your marriage as a wife while challenging the false notion that the joy, the passion, and the pursuit of holiness in marriage will eventually just fizzle out. God has called us up toward holiness and commitment with the ultimate goal being to honor Him within our marriages. My heart behind The Wife Project is to challenge you to become more like Jesus in every area of your life, which then will flow deeply and widely into your relationship with your husband and break generational habits so that your children know what a healthy marriage actually looks like. Amy said this, I only just started following you a couple of weeks ago, Lindsay, and I'm so inspired by how relatable all the content is, but it always comes back to how I can focus on Christ, and that is the key to healing my marriage. One more thing to add, The Wife Project has helped my patience and kindness in parenting. It is helping my entire home, and the assignments are actually work that I want to do. This is a beautiful gift that you've given. I can already feel my wheels turning, my heart closer to God, and my whole being more gentle and tender to my partner. So good. Wives, it begins with you, and not because your spouse always gives their best, but because Jesus has called you to be a good and godly wife to honor Him. The Wife Project is an eight-week, ten-and-a-half-hour video course that you can work through in your own time, and you have lifetime access to the course once it is purchased for only $197, which is less than two marriage counseling sessions. I also offer payment plans to help you guys out. This means you won't run out of time and you can watch it for the rest of your life. It also comes with a 70 plus page wife project journal with actionable marriage challenges, memorization verses, and journaling questions to help you implement what you're learning right away. So click the link in my show notes on my Instagram link or on my website, sparrowsandlily.com to be added to the waitlist and to learn more about the wife project. Don't miss the last official launch. We will see you there on November 7th, 2021. Love you guys. I just want to take a quick second to thank Weem Vitamin Gummies for supporting the Living Easy podcast. This past year, I've been so much more intentional about caring for my body, and for once, it isn't about how I look, but how I live. I want to be around for a long time with my boys. I want to run at the park, kick the soccer ball, ride bikes, and wrestle with them on the floor. I don't want to feel lethargic or sluggish in my own skin. For me, this means eating a clean diet with healthy foods, getting myself to the gym, or working out at home, and getting my vitamins. Today's episode is supported by Ween Gummies, vitamins that I personally love and actually take every single morning. They're here right next to me. 
I take the Immune Boost Gummy because it's 2021 and who does not need a little immunity right now? This gummy has vitamins C, B, D, E, folic acid, elderberry, and zinc to keep your immune system strong. I have now also replaced the apple cider vinegar shot that I took every day with the Weem apple cider vinegar gummy because it includes apples, beetroots, pomegranates, which contain different vitamins and a range of other nutrients that can help maintain a healthy heart, good cholesterol levels, while enabling a clean digestive system. Apple cider vinegar's properties include blood pressure reduction, antibacterial activity, prevention of cardiovascular illnesses, reduced effects of diabetes, and more. Weem gummies are vegan-friendly, non-GMO, gluten-free, low-calorie, so click the link in my show notes to purchase or go to weemco.com and use the code LIVEEASY for 10% off your purchase. In my heart, just, I mean, I, I don't want anyone to ever listen to this and think that we are trying to just offer all of these solutions without the weightiness of what this means. Because that question, I am, um, I have experienced rape in my past and it's a huge part of my testimony and the way that I lived my life after that point. It's episode 30 on this podcast if my audience has not heard it yet. But I, I can't even begin to imagine at 14 years old when that happened to me, if, you know, if I, I went to the rape crisis center shortly after they checked me out and showed me all of the gruesome things and then gave me a pill, you know, but had that been part of my experience, I don't, I don't know what I would have done. And that's what I say is a lot of girls, when that is the experience, they're thrown into a decision, into making a decision that they never thought that they would have to make. And so while I fully believe in the sanctity of life, while I fully believe that a baby is a baby upon conception and God has formed that baby in the womb and called that baby by name and loves that baby so deeply, I, I, I ache for the women who have to make a decision or who feel as if they're being forced into motherhood because they have been abused. But I also believe in the redemption of Jesus and the reconciliation that he brings with our pain and with our trauma and that he makes all things beautiful and new, even when it looks different than what we thought that it might look like in our lives and our plans look different. Natasha, you brought up the idea of, you know, this might ruin my life or the pressures that people put on, but women might also have those thoughts of, oh my gosh, but I, I want to travel and I want to live and I didn't expect this baby. And let's, we're, we're no longer talking about abuse. Now we're just talking about consensual sex before marriage and saying, you know, I, I want to live my life. I want to pursue my goals and I'm going to maybe use this abortion as a form of birth control, which I have heard, you know, I actually had a friend and I want to speak to this, who their sister-in-law had had six abortions in the span of, I don't know, maybe two years. And it was just her form of birth control. So those are two topics. (laughs) I know I'm getting ahead of myself. First topic, the women who desire to live their lives and to have this freedom and yet have consensual sex Topic two, women who use this as a form of birth control. Can you speak to both of those for me? For those who, you know, want to live their lives. And I mean, that's so much ingrown in our culture of wanting to, you know, be able to move around. And and we don't think that life opposes that. I mean, there are so many families across America who would love to adopt that child. And so there are alternative options that is not 
what some would call forced motherhood, there is that opportunity. And I think, and I don't know why, but there seems to be a stigma about adoption when it truly is such a beautiful thing. I've interviewed with women who said that they'd rather have an abortion than adoption because it seems like it would hurt more. To let go of their baby. Yes. There's so much. And you can almost feel the mama's heart in that moment too. Like they're scared of pain. But is abortion, you know, a way of healing that pain or avoiding that pain? And and there's just not, the research doesn't go there. There's a lot of wounding that happens. And I think, you know, for listeners who've gone through that, like, you know, there is weight because, you know, our culture says that uh, unplanned pregnancy or before a certain amount of time, you know, it's a nothing, but yet you know that that's, it's something and that there should be value in that life. And, and even if you've experienced that pain that, you know, to acknowledge that and get healing is such a beautiful journey that we can, you know, go through. Yeah. For those who see it as a form of birth control, again, my question is, you know, women's health. And I'm not a doctor here, but I have talked with doctors who are OBGYNs and have asked them, you know, how does, how does this affect women's health? Because it's certainly, you know, talked about as if it is. And the information is, is pretty staggering especially with its relation to breast cancer. And of course, I've heard both sides of it. Can you share a little bit about that? I haven't heard that before. Yes. Yeah. So there was a study done a few years ago that actually took together 109 international studies. So this was, you know, far beyond America, but 109 international studies of those who had had abortions, women who had abortions, and relating it with breast cancer. So they found that after one abortion, there was a 40% higher risk of getting breast cancer. Wow. After the second, it jumped to 76% risk of breast cancer. And after three abortions, it jumped to 90%. Wow. So in a world that talks about women's health, and we do you know, fight against breast cancer and that, there's real science behind the fact that there is linkages because of the changes in a woman's body that's suddenly stopped and those cells aren't triggered to stop as well. And that's what eventually causes that cancer to grow. So again, there's information like there that's being silenced that should be told to women who are seeking abortions because again, it's their choice, but do they understand all of the risks. And that's really what pregnancy centers try to do is they will go through, they're not trying to scare anyone into any one decision. They're not trying to pressure anyone, but they really want women to understand here's the risks, here's the rewards. I mean, every choice is going to be hard. <laughs> no, life is not easy no matter what you choose. And so you might as well make the most educated, informed decision for you. And I think the the health side of things needs to be, you know, made aware for those who are facing that decision. Wow. That is very fascinating to me. I've never, and I feel like I've done quite a bit of research on this topic so that I can feel like I can speak to it. I don't, I'm definitely not as informed as you, but I, I like to know before I have a conversation and it is really interesting that that is not really public knowledge. So thank you for sharing that. 
And if you guys want to, I, you know, if you like researching and reading studies, this study was by Dr. Ian Gentles and Dr. Joe Brind. Okay. If you wanted to Thank look that you. up. Can you speak to what God says about abortion, what God says about life for those who maybe have never read the Bible or those who may not know God's stance on this cause? Oh, that's such a beautiful and multifaceted <laughs> question. Yeah. So, I mean, God introduces himself as the author and finisher of life, as the one who's sparked it into existence, who loves it deeply, who lavishly just is overjoyed when life is thriving. And you also see, especially in the prophets, his heart breaking when there's injustice. And like, oh man, it it's so powerful because he cares so deeply about people, about his creation. And he's called us into a thriving, beautiful life that is purposeful and so filled with, you know, doing work that is going to matter and doing, you know, all these different aspects of our life that we might think is insignificant can be like worshipful to God and brings him joy too. So he's created a life for us to live and yet sin and brokenness and tragedy and injustice reign in our world. And so there's this tension, you know, of like this ideal of what we want and what should be because it's engrafted in how we're made. And then the realities of trauma happens, you know, rape happens. There's severe injustice that happens. And that breaks us and it breaks God's heart too. But in that, he doesn't leave us there. He meets us there. And this is where I love well, Luke 15 describes the father who sprints after his lost son and and the shepherd who's willing to run out into the darkness and, and find a lost sheep. And that word lost implies value. It's something he noticed. He notices when we're hurting. He notices when we're away and he's seeking us out and pursuing us and inviting us into this relationship. And so for those who've, who've experienced life, you know, in, in the ways that it shouldn't be, he meets us there and he heals us. And one thing I think is so incredibly amazing, and of course there's many, but the fact that Jesus was willing to come and experience all of this life and he experienced every kind of trauma that we have too. He's publicly humiliated. He f he experienced, you know, potentially even the shame of a mom who had an unplanned pregnancy, you know, yeah. and the culture surrounding that. And yet he redeemed all of that. And so he knows everything that we've gone through and the pain that that might bring. And he meets us there and he lifts us out of it. Thank you for sharing that, Natasha. I want to touch on one of my friends. I'll never forget. We were in church. She was seeking God. We were young and I was saved and she had had an abortion. And one of the things that she asked me specifically, I remember we were in service and she was just flipping through the Bible and she said, where does it talk about premarital sex and where does it talk about abortion? And at this time, I didn't know that she had gone through that and she wanted to see what the Bible said and basically didn't know that the Bible says that abortion is murder. And can you speak to what that is, what what that means, 
to a woman who may have gone through that because her struggle henceforth was, I murdered my baby. I I didn't know, you know, it was so early on. I didn't know the depth and the gravity of what I was doing. And I, I just believe that it's important to know that, not to, not to add shame, but for those who have not made that decision to know what God says. But can you speak to the woman who may be struggling with that and then the woman who may be in a position now where she has to make a decision? Yeah, man. Where I like to lean on is how does how does God reveal himself in this situation? And throughout scripture and and it's difficult because there's no one verse that says abortion, you know, because it that didn't exist in the same way that it does now. But you see throughout laws that are in place of caring for women, caring for the unborn, ensuring that, you know, pregnancies are not intentionally ended. And so there are those kind of motifs throughout the Old Testament, which I think, I mean, that was very countercultural in that time because other cultures did actually have human sacrifices and it was pretty, you know, awful. So, so there is that, but the father's heart for life and the father's heart for the vulnerable is really where I lean into because in this place, those who might be facing that decision or those who felt pressured, they were vulnerable too. (laughs) They have felt that pressure. And, And so I like to focus on that. You know, the fact that these women are facing hard things and culture is pushing them, people are pushing them, their own fears are valid. And what about them? And that's where like God just cares so deeply about those who are vulnerable, those who have the vulnerability of being the unborn and small, but also those who feel like they can't make it, who feel like they don't have what they need to survive. He cares. And that's where the church can step in and really care for them well and introduce them to the lavish love of Christ that will meet them where they are and and surround them with support and care. And for those who have experienced an abortion and feel like, Somehow God can't forgive that because there, there's been studies that show over half of women who have had an abortion really don't believe that God can forgive them. Yeah. But sin is sin, and we've all fallen short. And there is no hierarchy where beyond some point God's forgiveness runs out. He is way bigger than any of our sins, and He is abundantly good to forgive us all of the things. And so to receive his forgiveness for something that maybe we still feel guilt and shame on might be really hard because we want to punish ourselves. And I've talked with women who had abortions who said exactly that. You know, I I kept on living that lifestyle and kept on going back because I felt like I needed to punish myself. In the contrast of God who says, you are valuable, (laughs) you are worth it. I am going to meet you there and help break the cycles that bind you. And I'm going to break those chains and set you free. Yeah, I think I would encourage us to be reminded of that. The Father's heart that we see, you know, in, in Jesus who meets people where they are. He's unafraid of stepping, you know, right next to and having dinner with, with someone who other people thought were unforgivable. And yet he didn't mind, you know, he met them there and he transformed their lives. I love that you mentioned that, the this hierarchy of sin. I have talked about this in a few of my episodes because we tend to put those sins that 
society really places on a pedestal in our lives and our belief system. Sometimes we allow that to seep in and we begin to believe that someone's, you know, sexual preference is more sinful than our pride, where everything is level at the foot of the cross. And so it allows us, I think it just enhances our empathy. It enhances our compassion. It enhances our ability to not be partial to others like scripture calls us to be, but to put ourselves last and to say, what would, I mean, not to be cheesy, but what would Jesus do in this situation? He sat with sinners, like you said, Natasha. He he loved those. He sat with the woman at the well and he was bold with her. He was honest with her, but he was loving toward her. And he gave her his time, which many people in that time did not give women that time, especially of her quote unquote kind. But to see his heart is to emulate his heart. In First John, it says, if I claim to live in him, I must walk as Jesus did. Are we walking as Jesus did? Are we faithfully pursuing his heart and living that out? And it honestly challenges me. And I'm just really thankful for you, Natasha, and thankful for this conversation because it calls me up to continue being aware of the girls, you know, on my street who are young teenagers and who may need a friend or somebody to talk to and just our neighbors to open our home to those who may be a single parent and to love them and to take them dinner occasionally or open your doors on the holidays but to be the church because we can, we can do better in the pro-life movement. We can do better for the born and for the single parents and for the immigrants and all of that. What? How can we love deeper? It really begins with us. And so thank you for being on. Thank you so much for your time. Can you please tell our audience where they can find you on social media and where they can find your book, Unplanned Grace? Yes. So follow us at Save the Storks on social media. And if you want to learn more about Save the Storks as well, go to savethestorks.com. And then to find our book, it's unplannedgracebook.com. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, if you enjoyed this conversation, please do take a second to tag us on Instagram, take a screenshot of the episode on Spotify or iTunes and tag us and let us know what you gained from this conversation. If you have a friend or family member who might be blessed by the candidness and the topic itself. We just ask that you share it with somebody that you love or somebody who may need to hear God's word today and his heart and his love for women and men who are struggling with this decision, whether it be a past decision or a current one. And we love you guys and we'll talk to you next Monday. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to share the love. The simple act of taking a screenshot of this episode and tagging the Living Easy Podcast makes such a huge difference in my little podcasting world. If you are blessed, challenged, or impacted by this conversation, someone else you know might be too. So please feel free to share a little hope and joy with the people that you love. If you haven't already, please take 30 seconds to scroll down from this episode or the podcast homepage on iTunes to give a quick rating and review. This makes a huge difference and helps in getting great guests for future interviews. Don't forget to follow along with me on Instagram for encouragement, devotionals, and practical advice on all the life and faith stuff. Love you guys.